You're listening to Monocle on Sunday, first broadcast on the 12th of September 2021 on Monocle 24. Good morning from Zurich. You're listening to Monocle on Sunday with me, Tyler Brule. Coming up on today's program, my panelists today, Emily Isohauer and Juliet Lindley, are here with me in Zurich. Also, Gillian Tobias is over in London. But back to Zurich. Juliet Lindley, what's caught your eye this morning? So we've got the headline at the Vatican, which is the Pope is starting a trip to Hungary and Slovakia today. And it'll be very closely watched, first of all, because it's his first trip post-surgery. You will remember he had colon surgery in the summer. And also because he is meeting uh, Premier Viktor Orban, Famously, they don't see eye to eye on migration issues. And then I've also got a little story on how the Green Pass in Italy is causing some concern, and we can compare it to what's going on here in Switzerland, especially regarding online threats from anti-vaxxers. And we've got Alitalia giving way to Ita soon. I'll give you a bit of news on that. Front Very good. We always like a bit of airline news. Also, we are heading over to Hong Kong to hear from our bureau chief there. Hi, this is James Chambers in the Hong Kong Bureau, and I'll be coming on a little later to chat about the latest goings-on in my city, where there's rarely a dull moment. It's the 12th of September 2021. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday. Live from Zurich, this is Monocle on Sunday with Tyler Brule. Good morning from a rather overcast Zurich uh, this morning, I'm, I'm sad to say. It looks like it's going to, to clear off. Uh, here with the weather is Juliet Lindley. Good morning, Juliet. Uh, what's the forecast for today, if you could tell us, please? No, it's looking really bad, Tyler. I mean, I know you said you think it's going to be really nice and sunny, but hardly. No, listen. For early September, this is just The Swiss Federal fun. Office of Meteorology says it's going to be sunny by the time we come off air. Yeah, they called you up, yep. And so you're they, doing swimming today. They did. I, I've already been swimming, by the way. I, I, how many times have you been in the lake this summer? <laughs> Zero. Okay, this is, this is extraordinary. <laughs> I just do meditation. Mediterranean. I just okay. do salty anyway, water. Anyway, if you're just tuning in, listeners, Juliet Linney, of course, is a regular uh, around the microphones here. She's a journalist, and of course, she is a former Vatican correspondent, which is something we like to trot out. There's a lot of Vatican head on today's program um, as well, I believe, correct? Yes. Just this morning, the Pope is on his way to Budapest, and where he's only going to spend seven hours, though. So it's interesting. He's going to Hungary and Slovakia. It's, he's he's going to be back on the 15th, so it's like a four-day trip, but it's rather lopsided, and you might be asking yourself, Tyler, why so lopsided? Well, insiders are saying the Pope does not want to give perhaps Premier Viktor Orban the the sensation that this is a proper state visit, which could give him a political boost or, you know, he'd get photo ops with the Pope Mm. and so on. Because as we know, and this is going to be a bit of a test of the Pope's diplomacy, who sometimes he doesn't relish being that much of a diplomat, he's going to meet uh, Orban and, you know, right-wing populist anti-immigration and Francis is everything that he is not. And let's remember that Orban often depicts his government as a defender of Christian civilization in Europe. Well, remember, um, remember when Francis came out in 2016 against Trump saying, you know what, all you're referencing to a border wall with Mexico, that is so not Christian. So you've got these these two very diverging points of view. And people are also going to be watching closely this trip because it's a test of the 84-year-old stamina. He is 84 and he's not doing that well. You know, he had surgery in the summer. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, he, he, it's his first uh, COVID-era trip to, to Europe. 
Remember, he was in Iraq last March. Yeah, I was going to say we were going to come you back to that story that. later on because we've totally left uh, Emily Isahau <laughs> out of the discussion. Good morning. Very nice to see you. Good morning. Uh, and of course, listeners, you do know that he's the program coordinator for peace mediation at Etihad and Zurich. Maybe you could be sort of riding shotgun with the Pope. Anyway, very nice to see you. You can have two minutes like Julia had just now as well. <laughs> and something from the Helsingin Sonomat for us or somewhere um, else? Or where, do you, where do you want to start in the world? Let me start by saying that I've just joined a swimming club at, uh, at our office. So we'll be going swimming every week, uh, once lake per week, swimming. all year round, lake swimming or river swimming, depending on the day. But no, I'm, I'm happy no to talk about <laughs> Nordic no. politics today. So elections are taking place tomorrow in Norway. Um, and there's been a bit of a government crisis in Finland this week. Um, so perhaps we, if we start uh, with Norway very quickly, uh, the longest-serving uh, Conservative Prime Minister um, in Norway, Erna Solberg, is likely to lose the elections tomorrow. And, and we're looking at a left-leaning, centre-left government in Norway. And do we want to go to uh, do we do we want to go anywhere else in the region as well, or, or we'll stick with Norway for for the moment? Uh, we can stick with Norway, and and then I'll head to Finland in a little bit. Very very good. Uh, also, uh, Julian Debaya. So you might have heard uh, just before we went on, on air uh, properly. That is uh, is with us in London this morning. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Tyler. And uh, I'm going to make you very jealous because um, we have the most gorgeous day here in London. And, and you could uh, be forgiven for thinking we're still in summer. It is gorgeous and perfect to sit at the Monocle Cafe and read the Sunday papers. It's really Excellent. Well, I'm, I'm hoping just send it this way. I'm, I'm hoping right. that the, cloud, the clouds will, will clear. As well. <laughs> Do, um, so you said Sunday papers, you said uh, cafe in London. Uh, mm-hmm. what's, what's caught your eye this morning? What's well, dominating the news? Well, Tyler, I am basking in the excitement of last night's US Open final. And of course, the 18 year old uh, Brit Emma Raducanu uh, had a glorious match and won uh, her first Grand Slam title. So you can imagine every single U, uh, UK paper has just this radiant smile of Emma Raducanu on uh, on the front covers uh, and supplements inside and and uh, just is Emma Raducanu everywhere and I think we're all you know thrilled at her 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 win but against a wonderful Canadian opponent I must say uh, Leila Fernandez uh, just a couple of months older and this new teen generation is so exciting to watch so it's exciting for tennis well it's also a little bit team Canada as well because Emma's also born in Canada as well. Exactly. I mean, she spent her first two years there. And it's interesting there, you know, uh, Emma Raducanu is Chinese mother and uh, Romanian father. Um, uh, I think Ecuadorian father for Leila Fernandez. And uh, um, I can't remember her mother, but it's a really interesting mix. And so I think everyone really has been supporting these these two teams. But Canada is doing phenomenally well as well. They have um, uh, Denis uh, Shapovov, I can't pronounce his name and the wonderful Felix uh, Ogre Aliasson. So in tennis, Canadians are doing phenomenally well. Yeah, and music and many other things. Yes. Um, Juliet, over to you. Who, which flag do you want to fly today? Flag of Trinidad, um, flag of Italia, because there's a lot of Italian stories. There's where, a lot where, of Italian Where do you want to go stories. next? Though, I think so. we'll leave out Trinidad, although I was telling Emily, I mean, the, the Monocle news output is so heavily skewed to Finland for some reason. There's nothing wrong with that. It's, it's an important time. market for us. I mean, if it wasn't for Finland, we wouldn't have paper to put the magazine on, of oh, course, bless. as well. And you do love their saunas. Yeah, no. Next time we'll talk about Trinidad. Today I'll talk about 
Italy. We've got the anti-vaxxers um, causing a bit of um, bit of concern, let's say, for the government because uh, there, there's a lot going on online. And uh, Interior Minister Luciana Lamorgese is saying the government will beef up measures to protect against web-based hate. After a spate of attacks on doctors, journalists and politicians, you know, Foreign Minister Luigi... But we're talking web-based attacks. Web-based. Right. We're not talking physical attacks. Well, at protests, they have been uh, seen to come, some of them turning up with sort of, uh, I wouldn't say weapons, but there has been some violence there too. But it's particularly online. And you've got, you know, the the portal Telegram. So the postal police are looking into anti-vaxxers' illegal activity on Telegram. There have been death threats to Di Maio saying sort of, you know, another rat that needs to be taken out. You must die and so on. And, uh, And this is causing a lot of concern. So we've also got, you know, if we want to do a bit of comparative theory, uh, Italy is saying that as of the beginning of October, they're going to impose the Green Pass on in the workplace. Switzerland is saying that as of tomorrow, a lot of um, checking is going to have to go on, whether you want to go to restaurants, cafes. And they're giving the option to businesses to impose the Green Pass. So in, in Italy, it's more like the government itself is saying uh, we need to pressure anti-vaxxers psychologically and financially by telling them, get your Green Pass, get your vax, and otherwise you have to spend a lot of money doing a bunch of other things and you can't do certain things. Whereas in Switzerland, it's more like the government is reticent to put too much pressure. So it's giving those options. And Tyler, you would know more than I would. I mean, what's the situation tomorrow in the Monaco Cafe? I, have, we, I we, have no idea. We wait. should ask Desi, who's who's our sound engineer <laughs> who's this morning. Our well, we should we should probably rewind because, of course, the government officially announced the federal council announced on Wednesday here that yes, if you're going to be going to the gym, if you want to go to the zoo, of course, which I want to do quite <laughs> frequently, if you want to go to to cafes and restaurants, you're going to have to show. Right. The, the, the federal councils or the, or the federal government's app here to to get in. Of course, this is to drive up the vaccination numbers because Switzerland is languishing. We have the that other country with a red background and a white uh, a white cross. That would be Denmark, um, who are now approaching eighty percent. If they haven't passed eighty percent, Switzerland is sort of mid 50s so they really they really have to get motoring um and we had madame levisi this week look at we can get rid of this pass in this country if you people get mm. vaccinated um and so i'm not dodging the question i don't know if we're going to have someone with an ipad standing at the door tomorrow i don't know if they're going to have to walk up to the counter and then we ask them i was actually looking for guidance this morning um and, and of course it, it varies canton to canton um so maybe we'll have some velvet ropes who knows? I, I'm, I'm not quite but sure. as an Italian, I ask you, mm. let's say you, you download, there's an app, I think, where you can check people's COVID pass. How do you know it's mine? Are you then going to ask me to pull out my ID too? Well, that's going to take forever to get my matcha latte and I'm not going to come anymore, right? I'm going to start making them at home. Well, no, but also but, they hear but, you coming on your but, e-bike almost <laughs> with those big tires. So they're already preparing it. You don't even have to come into the cafe. So you can completely, because me. we should we but, should say that if you, if you remain outdoors, yeah. then you don't have to show your pass. So this is only that's if you true. come inside. So I don't know, maybe we're setting up a, I don't know, a bench outside. A drive-thru. Ah, the, <laughs> the drive-thru. Drive I think the drive-thru is a good But it does idea. worry me about how you can like carry someone else's COVID pass unless they're asking you for ID or picture ID and so on. And, and coming from Italy, yeah. yeah that no, and I happen. do think it works for, um, as a policy, I don't think it'll change too much. But um, in terms of some of the more complacent demographic groups, say in Switzerland, that have been waiting out the pandemic, haven't been uh, getting vaccinated, I think that's the target population that this policy change will impact. The anti-vaxxers will still continue. 
um, the battle against the vaccination regime. Um, but it is those young people uh, who now are queuing up to get tested before they enter a club or a bar. I think just for a matter of convenience, they will now get vaccinated, hopefully. Always those pesky young people. Exactly. Every time, no matter, no matter, no matter what, what's, what's happening. Uh, Gillian, uh, maybe uh, you, your turn uh, for outside the world of, of tennis. Uh, Anything exciting in the Sunday Times, Daily Mail, Telegraph today, uh, well, I, New York Times, what's caught your eye? I was enjoying um, the um, the weekend FT, which I, I tend to save for a Sunday morning. And um, I think this year more than, uh, or this season more than some seasons, I'm really interested in where fashion is going. We've just finished New York Fashion Week. London Fashion Week is starting this uh, week. And there's a lovely profile on uh, Roland Moray, who I've always found as a, a wonderful designer for a show in London in uh, 1997. And the article really is called, um, he's going to be the last man standing, but it's looking at the effect that the pandemic has had on fashion, because of course, not just stores were closed, but no one was going out. You know, there were no cocktail parties, there were no weddings. And so really looking at how his staying power has been always his focus on his customer. And um, one of the things was just literally working with his customers and recutting their dresses and turning long dresses into shorter cocktail dresses. But while that quiet period was going on, keeping the dialogue on with his customer, and then now suddenly the shows are starting and I think it's going to be like peacocks coming out. I think I'm really interested to see how everyone's going to respond to um, to people wanting to dress and wanting to go out and, and what the looks are going to look like. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how it's going to unfold in London, Milan and then, of course, Paris. And you've got the design festival starting. We've come off the back, of course, of, of Milan. We had Salone last week, and I think many of our listeners know we were broadcasting across last week uh, from from Brera. Um, I was in Paris for a few days as well, so it'll also be interesting to see. I think the the energy, because you know, this will be one of the first big moments uh, when when we think about. Yeah, international trade fairs. I mean, as much as it's a design festival, this is also a trade fair uh, as well, where people are coming to look at new tables and sofas as much as they're looking at, at fashion as well. Do you, do you get a sense that you see uh, yeah, that buyers from from Japan, the states, are already descending on London, Gillian? Well, I think I think it, you know it, the, when you walk around the streets of London, you just have a big smile on your face because yes, before you know for many months it was just you would literally hear English, 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 and now f- I am getting a sense that sort of um, flight are landing and people are coming and they're coming to do to do business there's an incredible buzz uh, new new London design district opening up photo London has been on this week and you know it's it's not just people who live uh, on this island and people are back to business like September is unbelievably business on the cultural side on the design side um, so many things are, are, are happening at the same time and that's being embraced and it's, it's interesting, as you touch on uh, yeah, the culture side as well, because we've, we have you know, Freeze, uh, of course. I mean, you mentioned, of course, Photo London, but we've got Freeze coming up in October um, as, as well. And it's amazing to, to see how, of course, cities deal with this. Uh, I mean, Juliet, we, you were missed in, in Milan, of course, last week uh, during, uh, of course, uh, Salone. But it was to your, actually to your point about... Yeah, the the green pass, and of course this being the the Italian pass uh, for for the vaccinated to to get into spaces, they're pretty. I, I say they, they they run a pretty tight show. I mean, if you want to go into even some quite sort of random cafes as well, they're they're pretty strict about bringing out the iPad, 
making sure you line up your, your QR code. Um, but I'm wondering just your thought, do you think, or do you get any sense in the Italian press as you move further south, does, does compliance change? Compliance. And not, not to, of course, play on stereotypes, but... Of, uh, you know what? Surprisingly not, actually. When, it's interesting because, you know, every time we go back to Italy, or we all automatically wear a mask, but it's interesting that they are the ones, even more than in a country which is like Switzerland, which is such, uh, so full of rule abiders, they're so keen to tell you, you've got to have on your mask, you've got to have it on property, signora, you've got it, like you might have dropped it a little because, no, you've Who got to... Who would pro- do that? Uh, no, but it's interesting because I kind of get the feeling that because they're so notoriously not rule followers, they're just kind of loving the fact that they are sticking to the rules because they had it so bad at the beginning. And so they really are imposing it more than in other places, I find. Um, Emily, just uh, on, oh, you, you, you raised your hand. No, no Emily no. was going yeah, to. He, 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 you need to give him some more airtime this morning. <laughs> um, what's, what's the case in, uh, in Finland this morning? Because there seems to be a bit of jockeying in the Nordic region um, at, at the moment because you really have, you've got the Danish government yeah. almost you know, declaring that the, that the pandemic is over. Precisely. You don't even have to show passes anymore. They were very, very early with having a pass, um, going back almost to, to, to late May, early, early June. Not that you have to be the spokesperson for, uh, <laughs> for for Finland, but what's this? What's the status there? So right the now? Uh, state in Finland is that we're really trying to follow the Danish model. Um, so Finland. Officially, the prime minister has announced we're more or less one month behind Denmark. Um, so the really the target is to have 80% of the 12 plus um, uh, population vaccinated uh, fully by the end of October. Let's see if that's feasible. And then you could do away with all current restrictions. So really, that's the goal. Um, and I think there's broad political support um, for that policy to get rid of uh, regulations and, and rules by the end of October. Again, whether that's fully realistic, I just checked the numbers. Um, this morning, um, it, we're at 61.9% in terms of 12 plus um, year olds having been vaccinated twice. 82.5% have gotten one shot. So if those people who've already gotten one get their second shot by the end of October, then in theory, we should be able to open up Finland just like Denmark did. I hope that hopefully and, and that Christmas uh, season will, will look good um, as well. Julian, one thing that um, we, we were touching on with uh, our editor-in-chief, Andrew, a little bit uh, in, in Milan this week, and these are more casual conversations. Numbers are still very high in the UK, but it's interesting if you look at the UK press, they've stopped the ticker. Uh, it's it's interesting when you watch, if you flip on Sky News, if you watch the BBC, there you don't have the COVID story dominating the, the discussion. And I'm wondering just, and again, this is of course just your impression as a journalist. Do you think that this is in part, yeah, people are fatigued, uh, or is there some type of call it collusion between number ten um, and the newsrooms to say, look, at we we just we we need to back off this story a little bit. It can't be sort of yeah, front and center every, every day. What's what's your take on that? Well, I think it's number eleven in the newsrooms. I think they are desperate for people to go back to work. I think they're desperate for people to go back into the shops, in the cafes, uh, and I think they realise that they have to stop some of the uh, the panic headlines, which were numbers, 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 deaths, hospitalizations, and just level things off a bit so we can try and get back to normal um, so that people can live with the pandemic um, because otherwise the economy is going to spiral, people are going to lose their jobs. So I, I, I do think they are the communications are trying to say, look, let's try and put a lid, lid on the sensationalism of figures. Let's not, you know, run our lives by figures alone. Uh, but I, mean, I suppose what is 
a bit mixed messaging is that we dropped the uh, the UK government dropped the mask uh, ruling, and having just come from Mallorca in Spain, where everyone just now is used to it in the in the stores and in the public transport, especially public transport. So I think the government could do a little better at keeping some things in place just to keep the numbers down, um, rather than throw some of the regulations out. There's still a lot of freedom you can have, but it's just going to be interesting to see how, how, how that goes in the next couple of weeks and months. Yeah, maybe it's also a case of keeping people limber because if you look at uh, some of the uh, the opinion pages in the paper as well, a lot of people say that there there's something in the Times that you know that there could be this this double whammy, uh, you know, heading <laughs> heading the UK's way as well. Um, so of course uh, vaccination rates are very high, but it always comes down to of course the hospital and the hospital numbers. And if anything starts to stretch in in the NHS, uh, you know, we know that things could be back to a very difficult situation. So I guess as you're saying, may, maybe good to um, you know at least keep the mask in the back pocket um, and maybe no no longer in the top drawer. (laughs) Exactly. Um, Just on uh, the topic, uh, Juliet, of the world uh, mobilizing, getting moving again, uh, you also just teased a small story um, about Alitalia. uh, And and Alitalia, uh, of course, uh, yeah, in the process of a bit of a a rebrand, a a lot of also discussions as well, um, that whether, of course, funding that came from Rome um, some years back, whether that was, of course, uh, legitimate, um, and now of course there's calls for also the the airline to pay that back that these uh, that these loans uh, stepped out of the bounds in terms of, of subsidies. Uh, but um, what else have you seen in the papers today? Well, yes, the airline to pay it back, pay it back, but not Ita, which is going to be the new Alitalia, esatto, Italia Trasporto Aereo. Uh, so yeah, that's a bit of an issue. It was 900 million euro granted by Rome to Alitalia in 2017 when uh, Alitalia was hemorrhaging, and um, and it's interesting because you've got Ryanair jumping into the Italian market and you've got Michael O'Leary who is um, he's announcing new routes from Rome and a new hub in Turin and uh, he wants to bring Ryanair's hubs in Italy to 16th a lot and the move is part of his plans to invest 8 billion dollars in aircraft dedicated to the Italian market, which will create 800 new jobs. And speaking of jobs, you've got the issue, of course, that you've got a very bloated Alitalia um, staff of of 11,000. And ITA initially is only going to be employing less than 3,000. So you've got a bit of a major sticking point there as well between unions. Uh, Just from a a, a brand point of view, from an emotional, uh, national soft power perspective, how how are people feeling about the fact that that Alitalia is going to 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 disappear as as exactly. a brand? I mean, and this is something which is you know, aviation uh, fanatics you know have all kinds of amazing Alitalia paraphernalia. You look back <laughs> to the golden age when you know, Gioponti was doing furniture for lounges. I mean, there was this extraordinary many extraordinary moments for the for the airline uh, and now it's going to become part of aviation and transport history. Well, first of all, it, it reminds me of when Swiss Air went bust and then someone rebranded it as Swiss and we all thought, what, what, Swiss, that's it. But look at it now. So I'm, I'm an optimist. But also, you have this dichotomy. You've got Alitalia on the one hand, which is... Um, you know, always late in takeoff, always late in arrival, that kind of thing. And, you know, you've, you've got the, um, there's the there's a bit of a, an, a naughty thing that a friend of mine always says that, you know, you get the impression that the staff, the, um, the flight attendants are preening rather than necessarily preparing for any security or safety uh, issues that might come up. But on the other hand, we all love traveling Alitalia. I mean, the food is better than other airlines. The lounges are nice. Their uniforms just around the time when this 
900 million dollar loan. <laughs> they they rolled out they, the new uniforms. Right, yeah, yeah. These new designs. Yeah. And I mean, the, the ones who were wearing them were kind of complaining, saying they weren't that comfortable. And clearly they were they were approved by Etihad, where, you know, in the Middle East, they, they don't have the same sort of style. Everyone needs to be a size four. It's not something like that. Yeah. But so, uh, yeah, mixed feelings. Uh, just and when you when you look at what's coming down, the, well, actually, maybe I don't want you to speak on behalf of, of the Pope, but the Pope famously always flies around, of course, on Alitalia. Occasionally, he's on a, on a small uh, Italian Air Force jet. But normally, this is these have been the pictures that have gone around the world, and You've, they still will. Yeah, no, I but, mean, it'll but, just say Ida. Exactly. But again, from a from a brand from a brand perspective as well, you know, we've. Everyone has sort of grown up with this brand. And we know that airlines are not going to be, they're not going to have a massive marketing budget. So people are going to be like, what eat though? You know, how, what, uh, what do is you this? know what actually, I, honestly, I don't mm. know. What is the, the branding concept going to be for Eta? I haven't, I haven't looked into that. I mean, Swiss Air Swiss, it's pretty similar though. So it's not like people go like, wait, why do they have a blue and pink flag? Well, I mean, no, hope, hope, I mean hopefully red, as well that they're green, not going to blow all of their money at a time when they have to be looking after them, you know, of course, looking after their finances, they're getting rid of a lot of people exactly. that they're not going to be spending a huge amount on a massive rebrand and maybe, so new, maybe, no, maybe new uniforms because maybe Ita needs or they're just going to no. get new maybe badges, pins, maybe new badges. That, that's that's about it. Maybe maybe some cufflinks um, as as well. Uh, Gillian, just back in London, uh, very, very, very quickly uh, before we before we get uh, to, to the news, um, anything any I'm, I'm trying to, as you know, I'm trying to bait you to see if there's anything out of the tabloids today. Not not that that's territory that we want to be in. But I, I, I did hear I did hear something about. Uh, an audience booing um, both Harry and Meghan. This has made this has made news. I think this has made news in Blick this morning in Switzerland. Anyway, but it's a story out of the Mail on Sunday that uh, that there was an event on, and and a clip came up from the Oprah interview, and lots of people were 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 booing. Um, but then, actually, when you watch it, it's all been drowned out by music. Well, I, I, I have to say, Tyler, I haven't, I haven't got my tabloids today. Okay. Um, and well, we I will haven't make followed sure that... the Harry and Meghan story. But I've, I've tended to blank it out recently uh, because I want to throw things at them. But I don't have my tabloids around the, around the table this morning. Okay. Well, so we, 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 can make, we can make sure for your next appearance uh, <laughs> that it, it won't just be, uh, of course, the, uh, the, the more upstanding journals uh, that, that are there for you uh, when you arrive uh, to get your your, your gym. Giuliano uh, as well. Uh, just uh, coming up in uh, in the next uh, segment after the news, uh, we're going to be going to Hong Kong. Our James Chambers uh, is there. We'll be talking to him what's been happening, of course, uh, in the special administrative uh, region as well. We'll also be uh, probably hearing a little bit. We haven't had enough from Finland yet either. Uh, but first, we're heading back to London uh, right now. Emma Nelson is there with the news headlines. Thank you very much indeed, Tyler. Haiti's Prime Minister Ariel Henry has hit back at investigators who want to question him about two telephone conversations he reportedly had with the prime suspect in the assassination of President Jovenel Moïse. The Pope is to meet Hungary's populist Prime Minister Viktor Orban in the capital Budapest. The meeting is expected to highlight differences as between Mr Orban's nationalist and anti-immigrant policies and Pope Francis' position. And a warning story for Juliet if she wants a final seasonal dip in the Med. A group of cows has been driving tourists from beaches in Corsica. The island is known for being home to 15,000 cattle. And while people were stuck inside over the past year, the cows took to the beaches, roaming freely and luxuriating by the seaside. However, the cows have become unusually headstrong post-lockdown and are making it aggressively clear they no longer wish to share their favourite spots with human beings. And those are the headlines. Back to you, Tyler, in Zurich. I like that. We always like a bovine story on a Sunday morning, don't we, Emma? It's 
anything animal related it's i'm spotting a rather rather sort of repetitive trend here but i was just thinking about the that wonderful moment when you have alpine culture and the med all in one place i mean that's two holidays in one for many of us it, it is absolutely i sort of worry about sort of you know especially alpine uh, cows with those cowbells um as well because I, there's another horrible tropical story which I will I will share with you because you think you know the cowbells they could sort of you know weigh the poor things down, but someone was talking about uh, this was a, a friend who was a landscape architect and he said he was working on a wonderful project uh, where he had these great clients and they had peacocks and they so he went and redid uh, their garden they they installed a, a plunge pool um, as well, and then one day he sort of went out and he he, he noticed that there was. I think one or maybe two peacocks were at the bottom of the pool, but they weren't moving. And here's what happens because, well, look at all those feathers on the back. I mean, they pull you straight to the bottom. So anyway, they thought it was going to be wonderful. You know, the peacocks would be sort of up on the roof and everything. Bottom of the pool. Oops. Yeah. Mm, have you got it? <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I'm just picturing it. I'm just wondering if you can peacock proof a pool. I doubt it. Uh, no, you'd have to probably put some kind of, I don't know, invis- invisible net or something. A baby I, gate. <laughs> I think they can get over the baby. Yeah, they do that for squirrels in in, in cemeteries, at least in Finland. They put a piece of wood uh, where they you can take water to water the flowers that you might put on a grave. Yeah, and they put a piece of wood so if squirrels go down in, so that for, they can for, come up. They can water drink. your grave. Yeah, so maybe something similar for peacocks. Oh God, I, I think this this is this is a concept. What about the goats? Are we going to talk about? The no, goats we're not talking about goats today. Shop? I'm trying I'm trying to figure out how to make a, a segue to our our. Our that's story, hard. our story about <laughs> a new food magazine that, that that's uh, come out. But I'll try anyway. There'll be no peacocks on the menu, because uh, last week we were talking to Christoph Ahmed, of course, a regular voice uh, around. Uh, th- well, not these microphones, his microphone up in Berlin. He's the editorial director of Zeit Magazine, uh, and they've just launched uh, a new magazine uh, called Wochenmarkt. So this is a weekly column which uh, appears in the, the supplement uh, to the newspaper, uh, and they've now turned this into a very, very beautiful magazine. It's on sale uh, all over the German speaking markets. I caught up with him uh, just uh, after a very big party at Barbasso, and uh, this is what he had to say. A new food magazine, which is called Zeitmagazin Wochenmarkt, which uh, of course is the German term for the weekly food markets, mostly on the weekends. And it's also the name of the column that we're running now, have been running for 10 years, with a, a fantastic columnist, Elisabeth Räther, who is also the political editor of Die Zeit. So it's a really eclectic mix in her job. So she takes care of the food and politics. So this was a bit of a, of a side project for her, a bit of a, an enticement to do her political gig and then yeah. get this little treat on the side? Yeah, I mean, I, I keep asking her, like, do politicians, when you meet them and interview them for a profile, do they ever talk about the recipes? And she says, yeah, yeah. Sometimes they keep mentioning, they said, oh, I know your recipes too, by the way. But she, yeah, she's trying to keep that separate. So, so we developed, out of this weekly column, now a magazine of its own, Zeitmagazin Wochenmarkt, and it's a very, I mean, I hope, the idea is to bring you the best of the simple recipes and stories and, you know, what you can expect from Zeit Magazine, photography, visuals, storytelling. And, yeah, very excited. I'm curious to know, how much of a sell was this internally? Because, of course, if we scan our eyes across the world, we look at the difficulties that many newspaper groups are having, not all of them, and not just newspaper groups. Of course, the world of print is difficult. Mm. What was the selling-in process like for the editorial director, for everyone to say, yeah, Christoph, you've got the green light, go and do the Wochenmarkt. Everyone in the company was fascinated by the idea of launching a food magazine, but how do you launch a food magazine these days? And I think the main breaking point internally was that we launched 
a website with Inside Online first. So we turned the weekly food column into an online site with Inside Online with sort of very good recipe search engines, fabulously great programmed and coded by our colleagues. And we launched the digital version last year. So on the platform of this digital daily journalism, we now bring you the beautifully produced and edited and, and printed magazine. And I think that's probably one of the ways how you can launch a print magazine these days. You have to create, I think, an environment where you're reaching out to everyone on all platforms and levels who might be interested in a food magazine by type and then deliver them the printed magazine. And actually, I mean, we've already sold a couple of thousand subscriptions just within the last couple of weeks via social media, which is amazing. I mean, that's the modern tools, I think, how you can sort of launch a print magazine these days. And it's in the end, I mean, you were there last night when we brought out the first issues to the friends here in Milan. Everyone, you know, was excited, flipping through the pages, touching the paper. And it's even for me, I mean, I've been in the magazine business now for 20 years, and it's still so exciting. If you get the first copy of a new magazine and you feel it, you touch it, it's something that only a magazine can deliver. And we should be clear, this is a standalone project as well, yes. just in the same way that, of course, the, the Detail franchise has other standalones. This is, doesn't come as a, as a bylog. It's not a side order supplement. This has to, to live on its own as well. Oh, absolutely. And it's a biannual on the newsstands like Zeitmagazin Mann. And I think that's a model that we can use. I mean, so we have the weekly magazine. We bring you the weekly recipes under the label Wochenmarkt. We have the digital daily service for you. And then now we can also bring you sort of coffee table magazine journalism twice a year. And I think that's sort of a, a model that you can, I think, we're doing with Zeitmagazin Mann in a similar way. And, you know, we're already thinking about different fields with magazines where we can use um, the same type of model, I think. Are we allowed to talk about a small project or at least a spin-off that might be reaching another German-speaking market? No. No. We, 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 okay. Well, listen, you can tease our readers, and I'm, I'm party to it. You can tease our listeners and readers yeah. about this over the coming stretch. Let's just focus on what's happening in the magazine landscape right now, because mm. we can look to Condé Nast. We see, let's call it a consolidation, or maybe it's a bit of a, a step back from having regional editions. We see a lot of, let's say, pan-regional titles becoming a bit thinner. Mm. And then you have, of course, it's not just your group. I mean, we see some confident oh, yeah. moves happening elsewhere as well. It's kind of curious, though, and maybe this takes us a little bit to the world of Deutschland Incorporated. Your friends on the other side of town at Springer, you know, now you've, you've caught you know, one of Germany's bigger, one of Europe's bigger media groups snatching up a very powerful U.S. media brand in foreign hands. Now it's in German hands. You've got your group going forward with as we've hinted at, not just what's come out today, but also you know, other launch ambitions as well. Do you see almost a, a division or, or the home of the printed word, or at least the printed press? Germany, maybe there's a certain level of confidence that you don't see maybe in the US or, or the UK or elsewhere right now. It seems to be like that. I agree with your, your analysis. I think that at the end of the day, magazines or formats that have this kind of magazine-y idea of looking at the world with a certain perspective, live from that certain perspective. So I think it all goes back to the, the leaders of the teams, 
the people who are sort of inspiring their teams to look at the world in a certain way. And if you look at all the titles or media groups that are doing comparatively well, I think it's happening in those houses. And I think once you shy away from the fact that personalities, younger or older personalities, women, men, you know, can sort of bring their perspective into a magazine or a medium or, you know, a podcast company. I think you're stepping back from journalism. And in the end, the readers might not understand, but they feel it. You know, you can feel if a magazine is edited by someone who's not editing magazines. And that's just, you know, what's happening at the moment, I think. And it, and it's, yeah, it sounds rather basic, but, it, it, <laughs> yes. but no, but it is kind of stunning how many places you see that someone is installed. Listen, I don't believe you can call someone who's a brand manager who is maybe looking after an automotive division to suddenly move them to a media company and say, okay, go do journalism today. Yeah, and I think that, on the other hand, editorial directors or editors-in-chiefs have to be brand managers as well. Of course, we need to look at the strategy of media brands, of the magazines, of the brands that we're working for. But I strongly believe that it has to come from a journalistic background and from a journalistic point of view. And I think that readers, listeners... In the end, they feel it. They feel the energy. They feel the emotional involvement of people, you know, really fighting for what they do and for what they love doing, editing magazines or radio stations. Just before we go, take us through the pages. As you said, this grew out of obviously something which is, of course, part of the, the Weekly Mix Insight magazine. Yeah. But you get so much more. This is not a best of, which is also one of the great things. It has, of course, the visual and journalistic foundation that's built the franchise that this will become. What else is part of the mixer? Well, of course, we do reportage. We have a wonderful, beautiful photography portfolio by Iris Hum, who also is working for Confect and Monocle magazine. That's just an example. I saw this story that she did, I think, for Confect about the lemon farmer. And it's one of my favorite food photographs ever, this massive lemon. And I looked at this lemon and I was like, oh, she's fantastic. And so I was really happy that she joins us for Zeitmagazine Wochenmarkt with her portfolio about food photography from all over the world. We sent reporters out in the world to tell us stories, not generic food journalism that you sometimes see, but really personal stories. And, and Elisabeth Räther, our food columnist, went to Stuttgart and interviewed Vincent Klink, one of the most famous German chefs. We asked Tim Rauer, the Berlin-based chef, about what he really eats in a daily week. And so we're really getting into the food world. The great thing about it so far is that the advertisers jumped on the magazine. And apparently, from what I know, is that we sold quite well. So we're going for the second issue next spring. And now we're really happy that Zeitmagazin Wochenmarkt is finally out. And sorry, I won't bother you anymore. I know we've been talking about this project quite a lot. That was Zeit Magazine's editorial director, Christoph Amund, speaking to us in Milan. Zeit Magazine's Wochenmarkt is out now. If you're in Zurich, you can run down and get it here. Hopefully we'll have it also on newsstands uh, in London very soon, but I'm sure it should be uh, making its way over there. I've also, we've distributed copies around the table. Gillian in London, sorry, Emma, sorry, we don't have copies for you yet, but uh, Emily's got uh, his copy open. Uh, mm-hmm. Julia, I don't, I don't know. I'm I looking can't. at the cover of it. Okay, fine. Emma, it's a beautiful you, you, cover. You've got some uh, some lovely... I know, spread a vegetable. I can't have my glasses on, but anyway. No, exactly. It's a rather interesting picture. So if there's anyone listening who has children who don't like their vegetables, so there is a spread about how to make your kids 
not just eat their vegetables, but enjoy it as well. So one is to come up with cucumber and bell pepper trains, but apparently there are other tips. I just haven't finished reading the article. Guys, those tips never work. Really? <laughs> you you tried on, this because you, your, yeah. your, your kids are burgers yeah. all the time, right? Like, no, they just this. love they their spinach work. and broccoli. They don't wait, work. Wait, 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 what, the they don't start? work. Emma's confirming. Wait, wait, so what? Look, yeah, but it, I mean, are, it, are you doing sort of happy faces on their bento boxes in the morning? Come on. It's happy faces all the way in the Nelson household. No, look, if you you, if you dress a, a bell pepper up as a train, when it comes to eating it, it's not going to taste like a train. It's going They're to taste like a bell pepper. Exactly. They're not stupid, these children. And no. they sort of they, and they give you that look, which is why you're giving... I mean, it's, it, yeah. it's just nonsense. Completely. Nonsense. Just like if Sorry. they see the word bio or organic written on it, it's like, mum, they'll forget it. We already know it's going to taste bad. Just, but I did want to comment on the cover of the I, magazine. I, I, I wanted to comment as well. We should not do any long pre-recorded pieces. First, Gillian said we were cheating on a Sunday morning because she likes the show to be live, live, live all the time. <laughs> also, when you go away, for, I know. Also, when you, when you go away for six minutes as well, then uh, Juliet wanted to do the whole show in various Caribbean accents. Um, which, uh, anyway. be, my, be my guest. I mean, we have seventeen minutes, so go go wild. Okay, so I have seventeen minutes to talk about the cover of this magazine, which has a shakshuka on it. But I should do that with a Hebrew accent. You should actually, actually, actually don't co-opt the shakshuka as something from the Caribbean, please. Exactly. What is shakshuka? Could you tell our listeners? Shakshuka oh, no. is a, it's an eggy dish with a lot of, yeah, tomato, a little bit of, uh, made a bit of onion in it as well. Peppers, red. I'm sure garlic. Doesn't look like a train. Looks like a train wreck, actually. But. <laughs> it's true, actually. And it's always red. But funnily enough, a friend of mine who lives in Israel actually said, oh, I made shakshuka today. And she sent it and it was bright green. And she said, oh, you can make it with leeks, you can make it with spinach, you can put some feta, some cumin seeds, and some za'atar. So there you go, Christoph Ahmed, maybe on the next cover, you might want to put a green shakshuka. Okay, but what's your, what's your take on the magazine, please? It's beautiful. And, you know, I love following recipes. It has so many beautiful recipes in it. And then it has a beautiful photo of a, of a stuffed tomato with rice and potatoes that is served in a restaurant in Rome. So I just thought of I'd course, just of course give a like shout that. out to that. Just on the publishing topic, Gillian, uh, I was, we were corresponding little bit yesterday because from Milan I was I was in Paris and this is you know the extraordinary thing when you go to to the French newsstand unlike the English uh, speaking world at the moment there are so many interesting new titles out on the market and so even when you're in a train station you're in a, a branch of relay which of course is is a big chain and maybe there's not as much space for magazines as there used to be but it's just it was incredible getting on the train on Friday to come back to Zurich you've got you, know, you get Le Figaro, you've got the F Figaro, of course, weekend magazine. You've got a, an enormous fashion special of Madame Figaro. You've got Le Monde and, and their edition of, of M as well. And then just, you know, a variety of just amazing new things out there. And I, I, I sort of, I left Paris just feeling very, very inspired in, term, yeah, in terms of also not this sort of unilateral sort of take on the media landscape that, of course, print is still valid. And of course, as much as people like to listen to this, I mean, the French are very, very good at radio. Well, I wonder, I have an image. I always remember your mother saying when you were a, a child, you'd have real wheelbarrows of, of magazines back home when you're young. And I can just see your your trolley on the train full of French magazines. I wonder, did you discover anything I'm, listen, new? Listen, I'm not big on trolleys and we won't no, even talk I know, about no, the fact that I was, no, no, I should have been, but I was, I was carry on only missed the bloody train. Uh, you know, thank you, Madame Hidalgo, because, you know, you can't really take your bags on an e-scooter, which seems to be the only form of transport in Paris at the moment. <laughs> 
missed the train, had to go from Gerlion to Gerlest, and then um, and it was it was it was yeah, it was Paris at its most humid and muggy. We still like the place, but um, I was I was cursing the 19 kilos of of, uh, of print that I was dragging <laughs> dragging around uh, with me. Uh, we're going to take a very very short break right now. We are going to be heading to Hong Kong to speak to our James Chambers right after this. And you are back with Monocle on Sunday. We're live in Zurich. We are heading to Hong Kong now to speak to our bureau chief there, James Chambers. Uh, it has uh, been a bit of a stretch uh, since we've uh, checked in with uh, with Mr. Chambers uh, in Hong Kong. But uh, James, good afternoon. Morning, Tyler. It's, it is a bit of a stretch. And maybe this is, uh, I guess, p- probably where we should kick off and lead today. That Hong Kong will be reopening, uh, I would imagine, in, in a rather limited capacity, but it is nevertheless reopening this coming Wednesday. That we will, you will now be having uh, a stream of visitors uh, coming from the mainland uh, for the first time under under official sanction as well. That's right. On on Wednesday uh, this week, they're going to open the borders with the mainland, uh, and there'll be two thousand uh, mainlanders allowed in per day, which will feel like uh, a huge stream after you know eighteen to twenty months of of the borders being totally shut. So um, it is ex- an exciting uh, but very small step, um, and I guess we're not. And expecting huge things because these the the mainland uh, visitors will have to quarantine on their return to China. It's not a reciprocal arrangement, but it is a big step in the right direction. Um, and inbound to Hong Kong, James, uh, there's so there's no quarantine, uh, so people come can come straight in. Obviously, vaccinations and tests would probably be the order of the day. Yes, that's right. Plenty of tests. You need to uh, test negative before you leave, and then when you arrive. Um, but yeah, the big news is there's no uh, quarantine uh, from the mainland, and that's you know in stark contrast to um, everyone who who flies in from uh, abroad, from you know, international travellers have to quarantine in a hotel from between 14 and, and 21 days. So the fact that we have some people coming in uh, without any quarantine um, is what everyone's getting excited about. And just tell us uh, any read already in terms of you know who who's going to be uh, or this this traffic that's inbound uh, the composition uh, is this going to be business focused of course uh, yeah in, investors uh, coming to of course look at their assets uh, and to to of course uh, come on come and uh, maybe visit their bankers uh, in Hong Kong uh, is it going to be hordes of of shoppers uh, you know wanting to of course uh, yeah it prob- probably in not I would say not necessarily enjoy better prices but maybe a different uh, range. What's what's your take on, on on who's going to be inbound? I'd imagine it's more the former and rather the, than the latter. So even though you know, a lot of tourism businesses, and hotels, and, and and restaurants and shops are getting excited, um, it has you know the the point has been made that you're hardly going to get many tourists coming to Hong Kong um, to buy you know essentially duty free handbags and and uh, luxury products. Uh, and put up with a two-week quarantine on their return to, to China, when well, these days they can just go to, to Hainan Island, which um, the Chinese have been turning into this kind of duty-free shopping destination. So I imagine it will be both you know, people who have to come uh, for, for business uh, uh, and also um, you know, family reunions. Um, you know, a lot of people uh, have 
family on, on both sides of the border uh, and they haven't been able to see each other for, for a long, long time. So I guess those those are the people who, who might be, be coming and the ones who perhaps uh, are willing to, to stay in Hong Kong uh, for a bit of time and don't. And so you know, it won't be these two or three day trips that we're so used to in the past where people from China would come and stock up on loads of you know luxury goods and, and milk milk powder and then go home or, or you know buy an iPhone from the Apple store. It'll be the people who are, have a bit more of a, a long-term interest in Hong Kong. And James, on the topic of travel, uh, we're also going to see the launch of a new airline uh, as well, the rather catchily named Greater Bay Airlines, which sounds like it should be flying out of somewhere up in the Michigan Peninsula. But anyway, um, tell us a little bit uh, about this uh, this new carrier. Of course, you know, at a time as you know, travel will hopefully be on the uptick, but of course, you know, this, you're talking. You're in the city with one of the world's great airports, which has been not quite shuttered, but has uh, perhaps seen the most significant blow in terms of its home carriers practically grounded, still keeping a few planes in the air. But uh, but tell us about this carrier. Yes, it's both uh, a strange name and uh, a strange time to be launching a new airline. Just a brief explanation on the name. Um, the Beijing government is trying to create this kind of super economic region in the south of China, which which connects 11 cities, Hong Kong, Macau, Shenzhen, Guangzhou, and, and all these other uh, neighboring ones. Um, and it's called the Greater Bay Area. Uh, and so this uh, Shenzhen-based entrepreneur has kind of uh, leveraged that and, and, and is going to create an airline which will serve uh, you know the, the China routes primarily, um, but it, it is you know it's exciting news that that someone is investing in in a new airline uh, at this time and in a city where hardly anyone is flying anywhere. Um, so uh, the Greater Bay Airlines took delivery of its first plane uh, just this week. It's a, a Boeing seven three seven eight hundred that used to belong to Norwegian Air, um, so that's not now going to be flying uh, around Asia. Um, but it may have to wait a bit longer uh, before it starts commercial flights because there's the whole licensing process to go through. And the local airlines here, that the competition, uh, Cathay and Hong Kong Airlines, I guess are not too happy that there's going to be a, a, a new uh, airline um, at the airport uh, at a time when you know they've seen a, a drastic reduction in in, in customers and, 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 and flyers. So uh, I think that's been pushed back to December. So we may, may not see the first um, uh, flight from the Great Bay Airlines till next year. Uh, and James, finally, just before we go, Wednesday is, is a big day, uh, as you said, of course, uh, border uh, reopening, if, if albeit uh, for, for limited numbers, uh, but also quite a significant uh, cultural uh, opening uh, will finally uh, be occurring uh, over in Kowloon? Well, yes, the, the uh, long-awaited uh, M-plus museum, which has uh, had uh, many, many opening dates pushed back and back and back ever since I've, I've been here, I've been looking forward to it each year. But uh, it's just been announced that it's going to be opening in November and the, we have a date. It'll be uh, the 12th of November, uh, two months from today. Uh, it's, a, it's a huge, you know, deal for Hong Kong. It's going to be a, a bit of a cultural magnet for the region. Um, and I guess it helps to, to think about it for, for our listeners as a bit of a, a, a Tate modern of the East. Um, it's designed uh, by uh, Herzog and de Meuron. Um, it has a lot of similarities in terms of its content uh, and its location. It's also next to a uh, the Victoria Harbour, so it's a bit like the, the Thames side location. Um, and uh, it's something that, that should be uh, a very big deal uh, for this city provided we can get the borders open uh, and provided 
um, it doesn't get caught up in all the, the political nonsense, which is already having an impact on what it can and can't show. James Chambers, uh, our bureau chief in Hong Kong, always very good to hear from you. And I'm sure we'll be checking in with you very soon. Uh, just before we go, uh, Juliet, um, and, and just I'm warning you, Emily and, and Julian, I'm coming to you shortly as well. Uh, you've been uh, prodding me the whole program because you want to talk about the topic of <clears> narcissism <throat> and leadership. Yes, indeed. So the Italian papers are all over this. And you've got Italian researchers who looked at at least top management, 200 Italian CEOs from family and non-family businesses. They're trying to figure out why and how narcissists climb the career ladder more quickly than others. So I'm not going to get into the details. We all know that, you know, sometimes narcissistic CEOs can be more rash. They can take risky decisions. Some would argue that it was what brought down Enron in 2001. So they're seeing like, so why is this happening? And they say, well, first of all, narcissists are especially good at blowing their own trumpet self-promotion. And also, thanks to their inflated view of themselves, narcissists also present more ambitious plans when they're in the business. Then they can impress bosses and recruitment panels, and they essentially reach the top job faster. Because overall, they say that, you know, 30% faster is the rate at which narcissists get to the position of CEO. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And it's good also that that saves money also on having to spend a lot of money on communications and PR. If you have leadership that can do it all by themselves, exactly. That's a very good thing. No, 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 Judgment, just just an observation. No, clearly. Okay, of course, (laughs) absolutely. That's good. Okay, Emily, over to over to you. I I I gave you the the task, you know, during our break, pre-recorded bits to find something juicy out of Finland Finland, or, or the Baltic world. And here, I'll here give you go. something at least interesting, but I'll first say that um, the budgetary negotiations in, uh, are the highlight for anyone looking for drama in Finnish politics, and, and that's usually rare to come by. Uh, but so um, the ruling five-party coalition led by Sanomarin did come to a consensus this week after a very tough period of negotiations on a climate package. So they have this very grand uh, statement of becoming the first carbon-neutral welfare state in the world by 2035. And this was the biggest bottleneck in this year's negotiations principally between the Green Party and the Centre Party. But um, agreement was found. They will review um, progress made in March of next year. Um, and let's see how it goes. But the fun story. Okay, good. Uh, I was going to say. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, there's something okay, a bit good. more fun okay, than good. budgetary negotiations. So, um, and, and, and Juliet, you'll have to forgive me if I mispronounce this. But at the Venice Film Festival, there's a new category that was launched this year um, called Horizonti Extra, uh, where the audience uh, members... People lying down or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> so audience members get to vote on their favorite film. And it was okay. a finished film um that huh. won this year and then the why uh, I, I raised this is because the title is rather interesting so the movie horizons called... not horizontal oh, it's not horizontal <laughs> horizons, not horizontal. exactly okay. uh, and the movie is called the blind man who did not want to see the titanic say that in finnish for us um sokea mies joka ei halunnut nähdä titanikia Okay. Repeat. <laughs> okay. Listeners, uh, you might want to be able to, to download that uh, when it comes. Jillian, very quickly, we have like, uh, you have 10 seconds. Any, any Anything else you spotted? Well, I may not have the tabloids, but uh, Prince Andrew is in trouble because papers are being filed against him. And it's really a, a cat and mouse game about trying to get those legal papers, papers uh, through to his hands. Um, but uh, <laughs> Well, we'll be checking in with our, our royal correspondent on that. We're going to have to leave it there. Juliet, then the Emily is how Julian Tobias and Emma Nelson. Thank you very, very much also to Christoph Amund in Berlin via Milan, also James Chambers in Hong Kong, our producers today, Emma Nelson and Marcus Hippie and our studio manager in Zurich was Desiree Bandley. And in London, Christy Evans. I'm Tyler Billet Monocle on Sunday is back the very same time next week. I'm not going to be around. Emma will be looking after you. I'm in Portugal. Have a good week. Bye-bye.